Hello, this is Steve Shirley with RNS Northeast, and this is The Clean Life. Welcome into the clean life. It's Dave and Molly back at you. Hey guys, what's going on, Molly? Oh, just every day. You're watching life. the clock, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I promise. Been here three weeks. You once <laughs> off early and a day off tomorrow. Hey. And, and where are you going? We're going to the Ozark Mountains. We're going to Table Rock Lake in uh, Branson, Missouri. Going to go have a long lake weekend with some friends that's a pretty good drive from here for a long lake weekend since we have so many lakes <laughs> within walking distance here yeah but this lake is 10 times prettier than all oh, of our lakes well, is it missouri yeah yeah branson missouri how many times have you been there uh that's a good question this is my first time on table rock actually oh yeah yeah first time skiing fishing uh <clears throat> sleeping eating all of the above, hopefully. <laughs> All of the above. Right. Well, we've got an awesome guest today. Yeah, we do. Her name is Casey Biggs, and she is a good friend of mine. She's actually a teacher at Mustang Valley Elementary. Casey, why don't you say hey? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. And also, you're going to love Table Rock, Molly. You are going to love it. It is definitely beautiful. It's not as beautiful as the lakes in Mountain Home, Arkansas, but I'm biased. But, you know, I grew up just south, (laughs) as I should be. But I just, I grew up about an hour, hour and a half um, south of Branson. And then my husband's family, they go there yearly, like a yearly trip and half for years to Table Rock. Um, I I got sentenced to Branson a couple of times when I was playing music. I mean, the the roads are about that wide, and there's like a half a million people in this town population of four, and they all want to go somewhere at the same time, and consequently, nobody gets anywhere ever. So, I've I've been twice, Mm -hmm. probably won't ever go back. I hear it's like, you know, the Missouri of Gatlinburg. Yeah, it is. It's got a lot of that feel to it, and Gatlinburg's kind of the same way. Uh but it doesn't back up quite so much as I remember uh, Branson backing up. Now, trying to get into Gatlinburg on a Friday. Oh, that's terrible. Then, yeah, it can be bad or trying to get out. But once you get there, everybody kind of, because everything kind of spreads out once you get there. So what we're going to do today, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people on the radio or on television talk about, well, should we go back to school? What should we do about school? And I have yet to hear anybody talk to a teacher about it and see what the teacher perspective is on that and on the virtual learning and the homeschooling and all of that. So, so that's, that's, that's why, why we, we brought got Casey. Casey. <laughs> I, 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 that's why I'm here. That's right. That's right. So, so you, you, you were telling us before we started that um, – you're a little bit south of Oklahoma City at Mustang Valley Elementary, but there are like eight schools in that district. So it's a pretty large, low population area, or a low area in terms of square footage, but a lot of a lot of schools in that in that area. So what would you say it was there eight? Is that what? 
there are, yes, there are eight elementary schools, um, but we like it all feeds into one high school. So definitely a large high school, but the city itself is small, very small town. Like there's not even, I mean, a ton of like restaurants, like you've got lots of all your like classic, like fast food and stuff. But it's interesting. The school I teach at is a Mustang school, but the address is Yukon, which is like our next door neighbors. Um, oh. But our utilities and fire and all that is Oklahoma City. You it know what? I think in every state, so odd. in every state, they they don't drug test the Corps of Engineers. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> Spring Hill High School it's is wild. in Columbia. Very so, true. you yeah. know, so, mm-hmm. so, so what's just give us an overall view of, of what the state of Oklahoma is, is in right now. I mean, cause you, in Nashville or in Tennessee, the further you get away from Nashville, the more relaxed the standard is in terms of masks and and all that goo. Uh, and I just keep moving further south. So, um, what, what's what's happening in Oklahoma right now? Um, basically, in Oklahoma, if you can like an, imagine a scenario, there is a school district trying it out. Like we, I know being from Arkansas and having friends that teach in Arkansas, like the whole state has pushed back the start date there. But here it has definitely been a district by district situation. So within our district, we push back our start date just a day um, to give us an extra day to just prep for all of the additional expectations. But in Oklahoma city, like the Oklahoma city school district, they are starting their first whole nine weeks virtual and they are not starting until August 31st. So while we are neighbors, we have totally different things going off, going on. Um, Mustang is offering a virtual option, but we are not like 100% going virtual. So what's like it, they look, are. And it then, look like? Three three days in class, two virtual, or is it all in class? Or you, you can take a pick? Um, so it's for kindergarten through um like basically everybody except for the high school you can either be a hundred percent in person or hundred percent online and then the high school has the option to do a blended situation really? which is one because you know they can they can drive and stuff but also it's not totally different than what a lot of like juniors and seniors do anyway because they have like votech options and chances to take like concurrent classes for college credit and stuff. So it's not totally weird that you would have some kids on campus part of the time and not the other part of the time. And plus it just helps. Yeah. Since the, you know, we are a big district feeding all into one building. It helps keep those numbers down of kids within a building as well. Have you guys already started signing up for virtual versus in the classroom? Yes. So the applications for those are due next week, the 29th. So then we'll kind of have a better picture of numbers as far as what we will have like in person. Um, and they're like asking parents to commit to a full semester. So if we, you know, if we do get to the end of this first semester and things have calmed down or there's a vaccine or whatever, and parents feel more comfortable sending their kids back, for the second half, they have that option, but they're asking them to commit to that first semester just because, you know, 
numbers within a classroom and the teachers that they're taking out of classrooms to do virtual, like just to kind of keep that from being a, a mess, I guess you could say. Now I'm going to take a guess. My guess is that there are more students that are going to want more parents that are going to want to send their kids to school than to do the virtual. What are you seeing with your app without telling me, give me any specifics? What are you seeing in your application so far? Um, I really just being a, just being a teacher, I haven't really seen much of that side, but, um, from what I've seen shared like on social media and stuff, I do think we'll have a decent turnout for the virtual, but I think as far as what we're going to see at our schools, I don't think our class sizes are going to be that like surprisingly low by any means. I think we're going to have similar numbers, maybe a few, like a couple, two to three less per class than what we would normally have. But I don't see like a drastic pull towards, virtual just because in the spring when we shut down a lot of parents their work also shut down or moved to at home or whatever but now we have a lot more parents that are will be working and that's just not especially those elementary kids that's just not an option to be able to leave your child at home to do the virtual well and I know a lot of places like especially here are doing you know two days on two days off and I mean parents who both of them are working or even single parents who are working, like, what are they supposed to do? A lot of people are putting their kids in like one home with a retired Mm -hmm. teacher or a substitute teacher or something like that. And, you know, that almost defeats the purpose of what the schools are trying to do, but it's like they don't have any other choice. Yeah. And as far as the days on days off, um, I know, I do believe that is Tulsa's model um, for the Tulsa school district. They are, um, if I'm remembering correctly, in the building Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So they're taking a break in the middle of the week to real like hardcore sanitize and just, I guess, keep people out of the building for a day. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what their model was. And then in Northwest Arkansas, there's a school district that is having half the kids come on Monday, Tuesday, half the kids Wednesday, Thursday, and everybody is online on Friday. So there's just, people are coming up with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I was talking to a friend and she's kind of like, whoever is the the lucky one that, you know, has like the lowest number of shutdowns or cases, they're going to be the ones that kind of get that, oh, they did the right thing. But really it's such a guessing game. Is on there, what the right thing is, is there to one, do. Is there one body governing all that, or are the counties pretty much on their own to run their own experiments, kind of like everybody in a boat fishing, and whoever starts catching the most fish, that's what we're going to switch to? <laughs> uh, there there are certain guidelines that we have from um, the superintendent of education from the state. There are certain guidelines we are required to follow, but as far as choosing to be like how Oklahoma City chose to be, online the first nine weeks or the alternating days in the building, those kind of things are left up to to districts. So there's school boards and admin having to make what feels like impossible decisions because how do you know what the right thing is? And the other thing is you're not going to please everybody. So (laughs) while there are guidelines, there are also, there's, there's some 
freedom in choosing what is best for your school district because some school districts may be able to, to afford to send home technology with all their kids and do virtual while some school districts can't afford that luxury. And, you know, how is that fair to, to your children? Yeah. That- some, you know, that kind of stuff. So some of these, when we, if we're required to shut down, um, obviously that's just what we have to do. But those that are choosing that virtual option most likely have the capability to put some type of device in every child's hand to have at home. So that was going to be my next question for you was like, what is y'all school going to do with all these virtual kids? I mean, are they going to be able to provide Chromebooks or, um, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots? That's probably a requirement of the choice is that you've got the facility to actually do it. Yes, it is. It is. um, One of the things that they say is for the virtual option, um, you have to have your own device and ability to uh, connect to Wi-Fi. So that is one of the things. Now, as far as how that goes, if we like are required to shut down for like an outbreak or whatever may come, I don't know. I haven't fully heard a plan for that yet, Um, but I know they're working on all the trying to have a plan for all the scenarios. So I'm sure we'll find that out once we're back in the building for professional development and stuff. I think since you're going to have both curriculums running simultaneously, it'll be really easy to switch the kids that are coming to school over to virtual, you know, I mean, because we're really only talking about an internet connection. You might need some help in the admin of all that, but that'll be, Mm -hmm. that should be really easy to do. Now, what are you guys going to do if like, are y'all going to do it by classroom shutdowns or hallway shutdowns that, or the whole school? That is something that parents have been asking a lot about. And that was like brought up and said, um, I don't know that we know for sure yet. Um, I, I know that the last I heard, they were waiting to hear some more like requirements from the state as far as that goes. Like if you're, if you have a school, you know, that has an outbreak like that kind of stuff so I think we're kind of waiting to make plans based off what we hear from like state requirements so hopefully we know soon all right well we're talking to Casey Biggs Mustang Valley Elementary School teacher about what it's going to look like in Oklahoma get from the teacher's perspective as the kids get ready to go back to school we're going to take a short break we'll be after this free from infection is serious business. Are you making sure your employees and customers are safe with solutions that are truly safe for them to use? If you're asking employees to use disinfectant all day, every day, make sure it's the right choice. If you want your customers to be safe, use the best products. Waltz D is an EPA-registered hard surface disinfectant that is FDA-approved for food contact surfaces. It's a new era of clean, built for the new normal. An environmentally friendly disinfectant that is safe, 
effective and sustainable. Hey, this is Carolyn Hoffman. Be sure to subscribe to The Clean Life. There are new episodes available every Wednesday. And we're back with Casey Biggs talking about teaching in a pandemic and what that is going to look like for next year. So, Casey, did you guys end up testing last year? No, we did not. And luckily for first grade, we do some testing throughout the school year to kind of monitor our students and their progress. But we don't do like the large, big stakes kind of test in first grade. But our third and fourth graders, they did not take um, the state test this year. Those were completely waived. And when did you guys stop going to school last year? We actually, so our spring break started on a Friday. We um, went that Thursday, the, oh, what was the day, like the 13th or something? Is this in or March? 12th. It was the 12th. Yeah, it was the 12th, I, I believe. And it was it was the week before our spring break. That's all I remember. It's all such a blur. This year has felt like seven years in one. <laughs> but we were at school that Thursday. And on our last day before spring break. And I just remember it was like kind of buzzing all day. Like, hey, have you like heard about this coronavirus? Like, it's kind of popping up in the news a lot more. And I had somebody I work with that was kind of like, you know, from what we've been hearing, it is very possible that we might have an extra week of spring break. So just prepare yourself. I was like, I mean, okay. Like, and then we never went back. And so we left thinking we very well could have two weeks of spring break. But like it was that next week when we were on spring break that things really picked up and the surges started happening, numbers started rising and people started talking about, well, we're not going to go back to school until April. And then we're not going to go back to school probably at all and stuff. So we were not at all expecting that that last day when we left, we thought we were just going on spring break. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just concerned about, you know, kids moving up to the next grade and if they're prepared since a lot of kids didn't get the full curriculum of the previous grade that they were in last year because of coronavirus. Oh, definitely. And it's kind of, it's kind of just one of those totally depends on the child because a lot of what we do in the last nine weeks is kind of solidifying what we learned in the first three nine weeks and a lot of review and just like really honing in on those skills. And so some kids were already ready. They had gotten those concepts that first time around or didn't really need that extra push in the last nine weeks. But then there were some kids that do. And so it is, you know, kind of put some at a disadvantage. But at the same time, when all my babies that are moving on to second grade go up, they're in the same boat as every other second grader. You know what I'm saying? So while some may be a little more prepared, they're all going to go in 
And those second grade teachers are going to touch on that last nine weeks worth of uh, curriculum with them. So that's already kind of our plan in our school district. So I'll really start out teaching four to nine weeks kindergarten standards and then kind of move into the first grade stuff to hopefully supplement that a little bit because when we shut down, we did not teach any new content when we did our distance learning that first time because we didn't want to put a kid. I'm sorry, what? I was going to say I have a completely off topic but relevant question for you. Okay, so so especially in – in the early years, first, second, third, fourth grade, like that, a lot, some mm-hmm. some parents start their kids as soon as mathematically eligible in the first in kindergarten, and some kids, like we did, we started our son. Our son was six before he started kindergarten because the state yeah. that's the state allows you to hold them out until something has to do with their sixth birthday falls here somewhere. So, but anyway, consequently. He was an honor student. I mean, he he was always ahead of everybody in his class because typically he was a year older. And my question is, do you find or have you been doing it long enough to notice that kids that start, that the older kids in the first grade theoretically do a little bit better, learn a little bit quicker, behave a little bit better than the kids that, I mean, clearly their parents are needing the, the child care, so they go ahead and put them in, could put them in school at five. I mean, I've, I've seen kids do it at four and a half because their fifth birthday falls within the state mandate of what you can do. Do you, have you noticed any, any correlation in even that little bit of age difference and performance? I noticed that my very first year of teaching as a new teacher teaching kindergarten, I noticed that first half of the school year, it now, it's once again, it you know, you can't put every like child in a box, oh, no. but no, no, no. as a well, majority, yes, I know. Generally, we're just, yes. we're just speaking generally here. We're not pointing generally, fingers at anybody. Oh, I definitely think that's something my husband and I um, have even talked about someday when we have our own kids. I'm like, if, if we can, like how their birthdays, you know, fall, I want to wait as long as I can to put our kids in kindergarten and, that is based off of what I saw as a teacher teaching kindergarten and now as like a first grade teacher. Um, and also just like they need more time to play sometimes. Like sometimes it's not even, you know, that they don't know their alphabet or they don't know this or that before they go in. But sometimes they just need to be a little more unstructured for a little bit longer. And I think it makes a huge difference. And I was actually one of those babies that got put in really young mm-hmm. and I personally from my own experience and then being a teacher for my own kids that's what I would want is for them to be on the older end rather than the younger and I do think a lot of times that makes a big difference and I know when parents consider retention a lot of times if their child is you know maybe not exactly where they want them to be and they are on the younger end with their birthday, mm-hmm. then they're they're more apt to retain because they see the benefits too. Of you know, maybe they would benefit by being well, on the older end than and, the younger as well. And we don't really see the social stigma of being retained much anymore. You know, because I, oh, 
I, I work with a young lady who has a, I'm not going to tell you how old he is, but he's of a school age, and she started him early. I say early. She started him pretty much as soon as they could. And, of course, we had just met, so I, I didn't enlighten her to my experience <laughs> much more than I would normally. But, but it was a topic for discussion, you know, and as, as he's gotten older, well, he's finally reached that point where all that stuff I was telling her five years ago is starting to ring true, and he's going to redo the grade that he's in. And, and you know, and where that's going to help him, not only emotionally, and, and it's going to be a little bit familiar to him, he'll catch up athletically. Now he's going to – my son, we started my son, like I say, he, was, he turned six in April and started kindergarten. Well, the day he graduated from high school, he was 19. He was like one of three freshmen in the whole school that could drive to school after April that 30th. That was my husband. yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and you know what? He's uh, he's got a four point at Tennessee Tech right now. I mean, he's just he was he's been better off. And it wasn't like he wasn't learning at home. He was reading on a third grade level in the first grade because my wife was spending a lot of time with him at home and after kindergarten and you know all that. It was it was it it it, it is probably going to slowly prove to be a better deal. And then you're going to see more parents make that decision because the schools probably aren't going to make that decision for you. You're going to have to. And we got off topic. Now, so, so let me get, <laughs> let me reel it back in. Here's, totally what, okay. here's what I want I'm to ask you. I'm passionate about that. So. Yeah, well, good. Well, then we'll, we'll bring you back sometime. We'll just talk about that for a half hour. So Perfect. Uh, I'm running along here on this, but I want to, I want to ask you a couple things. Number one, okay. I, you're seeing, I don't know what data that, your parent population sees in Oklahoma, you know, and it really, a lot of times it depends on what news station they're watching or what newspaper they read, or maybe what they listen to on the radio on a daily basis. I think so. So having said that, what do you think as, as somebody who's probably, I'm not going to say an, an interested third party, but you don't have a child in, but you're going to be on the front line with the kids. How do you feel about, the, some of the data you're seeing and the numbers and whether or not are you concerned at all about having kids in your classroom? Um, it's, oh man, that's a, that's a really tough question. Um, I'm kind of like in general concerned just for everybody's health because, um, you know, just, I guess that's part of being in a pandemic. Um, but I do take some like peace in knowing that they're in my classroom as well, because like I talked to one of my dear friends that I actually teach with, we've talked a lot and we're like, you know what, they may not leave us this upcoming year, knowing all the standards, but just knowing that they can be there and we can help with that social, emotional, like mental health aspect is huge. And so I take a some huge peace. part of it. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I say I take some peace in that, but then at the same time, I know that I'm going to be running around wiping everything, spraying everything because I don't want, you know, I don't want any of my little babies to get sick. But I do think, I do feel that it's going to be very beneficial for them in other health aspects, like that mental and emotional health. Well, um, first thing I'm going to tell you is. Avcare is running a promotion right now for teachers, so make sure you tell all your parents about this. So when they listen to you on this show, 
they will know that if they go to store.avcare.com, that's A-V-K-A-R-E.com, and click on the promotions mm-hmm. tab, it'll take you to a, some infection control products that Avcare has. And if they pick any three of them, a combination of three or three of one thing, put that teacher code in and get a 25% discount. If they want to send it to you for your class, that would be great. Molly's mm-hmm. going to put in a sample order today and send you a case of the of the little 1.69-ounce hand sanitizer bottles we have for your classroom. It's kind of a thank you for coming on today. Uh, and oh, well, thank you. And maybe do our little part. Maybe we'll slide a bottle of Waltz D in the box, too. That Waltz D is So <laughs> she can check that out. Uh, but you're, you're going to want that. So, so definitely – you know, tell your friends that you were on today because they're going to want to do that. And this 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 hand sanitizer is perfect for what you're doing. No alcohol in it. So benzoconium chloride is the active ingredient, so the kids could drink it. Not going to hurt them. Not going to make them three mm-hmm. sheets to the wind either. If you put in gel, <laughs> hand, I'm just going to tell you that one, yeah. one one dose of gel sanitizer with 70% alcohol is equivalent to two shots of vodka. When your kids figure that out at eight, nine, ten years old. They're gonna be in their Walgreens loading up on hands on, on gel at fifty cents a shot. I mean, it's it's crazy, <laughs> and you know I wouldn't be able to tell you that if somebody hadn't tried it. So it's oh, it's, yeah. a, it's mm-hmm. a fact. It's not safe. You can't really leave it out for them. So, but you can leave this out for them, and, and they'll make their hands nice and soft too. So you're gonna to want to do that. So I also want to tell you that at least the numbers that the data that I've seen from the CDC, the mortality rate. Less than 1% right now if you contract it. And that doesn't even matter what age you are. That We've just learned how to deal with it, number one. Number two, no teacher has ever acquired the virus from a child, from a student. So that's a plus. Now, we did shut down a lot of schools. But even in that ramp-up stage when everybody was getting sick, you know, the kids, they're just not much of a carrier. And uh, mm-hmm. so you should, you should be good. And you're young. That's probably helpful. I probably don't need to come speak to your class, but, (laughs) (laughs) but but, so, so what's your, so last thing for me, and then I'll let Molly have the last question. What I want to know is how you, what, what's, what's your thought on the effectiveness of the virtual class versus now, and let's take the, um, let's take the social part out. There's no social advantage to doing the zoom call for virtual classroom, but just in, 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 learning uh what's your opinion are you are you all right with it as a last resort or do you think it's a a viable thing or would you just i prefer to have them in class because it's a lot easier i would think i would think if if i was doing it it would there there's more um there's a lot it's a lot easier for me to gauge the progress of each of my students if i've got them in my face every day and i'm going up no that's not right you know because I'm just going to tell you from experience, Mm -hmm. you never really know how much of their work that your parents are doing (laughs) because we're tired and we want to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, that's just how it is. And, and, and it really kind of hacked me off when my kids got into high school, I had to learn math all over again because they weren't teaching them at school. They'd send them home and make me teach them. Consequently, they all (laughs) suck at math. But so what do you, what's your thoughts on, 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 virtual versus in-room classes uh, kind of like how you said you know am am i okay with it as a last resort yes like if i can still if we have to shut down um and we do go virtual i'm just happy that i can still connect with my kids 
And also I'm happy that our school district is offering it as an option for, you know, families that that works well for. And I know there's a lot of families who are going to do the virtual in addition to some homeschooling aspects as well and things like that. So for those people that that is what is best for their family, I'm happy they have the option. Um, and I'm glad we have the option as a last resort, like that we're not living in a time where we don't have the technology to do so if we had to shut down. Um, but my preference is always going to be having my kids with me, um, for especially this, this age. So much of the learning that they do and something I'm extremely passionate about is learning through hands-on and learning through play. And so that's kind of just totally stripped away from like me to be able to give to my class when we do virtual. I can't, you know, allow them manipulative and um, like play and those different things to practice the skills that they're being taught. And so for me, like that's something I'm extremely passionate about as a teacher. I could go on a whole soapbox about play and all oh, that. But oh, I mean, love. it's a big passion. I, a big of, passion. Okay, so, so I do have one more question, but it's a quick. It's quick. Okay. It doesn't require a story. But do you think is there going to be such a thing as a Corona kid five years from now? Are we going to be looking at kids that got caught up in this Corona situation? missed the last half of last year's grade, started the first half of this year. And, you know, maybe somebody's having to do it virtual and they don't excel like that. You know, maybe they need the hands-on approach and they're not getting it. Are, is there going to be a Corona kid category for students that reach, you know, two or three years from now are struggling at the grade that they're in because of that? Um, I, I feel like that's inevitable, honestly. Um, because, you know, I have seen students of my own who have had to miss a lot of school for different, like, ailments and illnesses, um, and it does affect them in the long run, like, being out of, out of school and those different things. But I think, too, with this being, like, a pandemic, it's not going to just be like, oh, have some grace for your students this upcoming year. It's going to be like, have grace for the next several years, because it's going to feel like they're constantly, some of them are constantly trying to play catch up. And there'll be a fine line line between using that as an advantage and using it as an excuse. And and as a teacher, you'll have to figure out what that is. For sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then I've got one last question for you, Case. Um, Absolutely. So my sister-in-law is studying to be a teacher and she's supposed to do her student teaching this year. And so Mm -hmm. it's just really made me aware of all of these kids who are like in college and training to be a teacher and how that's going to have to change and be different for situations like this. So is there any advice that you want to give people who are thinking about going into teaching or who are starting their student teaching or are in college for teaching right now? Specific to the pandemic or like generally? Um, either. Okay. Um, as far as the, I'll just give a little bit of both. I'll give a little nugget for each. How about that? Perfect. As far as those who are going to have an opportunity to student teach during this, which I know as of right now, we will have one in our grade level at our school unless different regulations change. We're supposed to have one in the spring. And the one thing I would say to anybody who is in college for education that has opportunity to be in school, 
this is the best time to soak up other teachers' classroom management techniques because our classroom management has never or probably will never be challenged like it will be this upcoming year because now it's not just do we have a procedure for sharpening pencils and lining up? It's like, do we have a procedure on how to sanitize every 10 minutes? And do we have a procedure for how to walk back to our desk without clumping up in a big, like those little things that, you know, kids do and you're like, they're just doing it, but you can't let them do because we're in a pandemic. And so I know my team is actually, we're having a meeting today and we're talking through some of those classroom management things we never had to think about before. So this is a great time if you're in a school to like focus in on that. And then for just those in general going into education, the best piece of advice I can give you, um, well, I always tell young teachers, you need a good devotional and you need a good mentor or mentors. Like go in and find somebody, some seasoned teacher in your school and bug the heck out of them. Ask them every question you can possibly think of and take in all that they have to offer you. Um, I kind of looked for that person in both school settings that I have been in. And sometimes it's more than one person. And sometimes it's someone that's not even teaching the same thing you are, but just has like, has wisdom and they, you know, can really pour into you. So I think mentorship is huge. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Well, Casey, thank you so much for coming on our show today. We've really enjoyed getting to talk to you and getting to talk about um, teaching in a pandemic and what's that going to look like this year. I have enjoyed it so much. I'm like, I don't know if you guys know this, but it was on my bucket list to be on a podcast. So <laughs> How perfect. thanks for making my dreams come true. Well, hopefully that list is a lot longer. <laughs> so you have more is, stuff to do. <laughs> oh, I definitely do. That's going to do it for The Clean Life. Dave and Molly, thank you so much for joining us. New episodes every Wednesday. Like us on whatever it is that you like us on and keep washing your hands. We'll see you next time. 